Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, like Aaron said, my name is Ryan King. I'm a small group leader here at River City along with my wife, Becca. Uh, we have a two-year-old, Anna, and a six-month-old, Wesley. And uh, yeah, this weekend, we're super thankful for the nice weather because like last week, it's crazy to think it was snowing. When we told Anna it was about to snow, she cried because she's like, I'm not going to be able to go to the park anymore. <laughs> so this weekend, it's a much happier uh, household, so that's good. Yeah, I'm super thankful to be up here today as we continue to go through Matthew together. Um, the, we're, we're getting into this, uh, the section about parables, and last week, Brandon gave us a sort of introduction to that, and he explained to us how parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Jesus used parables to reveal aspects of his kingdom to the crowds and to his disciples, and Brandon helped us see that the key to understanding these that the key to understanding these passages has everything to do with God graciously revealing that to our hearts. So today we're actually going to look at the first recorded parable in Matthew. It's the parable of the four soils, or it's also called the parable of the sower. Here Jesus is going to use an agricultural metaphor to reveal something about his kingdom. Agriculture was a much more broadly known topic in Jesus' time than it was today. A lot of the people in that time would have worked in farming themselves. So Jesus is explaining an aspect of his kingdom using terms that were pretty well known to his audience. So he contextualized his material for his audience. He's a very wise preacher. Um, and yeah, so for those of you who don't know me, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, so I'm somewhat of a city slicker. So I don't really have a lot of agricultural knowledge besides like learning about the water cycle in third grade or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, my wife Becca grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. Her parents grew up on farms and she was pretty involved in FFA, so she knows way more about agriculture than me. Sometimes I poke fun of her for that stuff, so it's kind of ironic that I'm preaching on this passage today. But. But uh, I think we'll be okay, because Jesus uses pretty basic farming terms, so I think we'll be all right with me up here today. <laughs> but yeah, Jesus is using an agricultural metaphor to reveal to us that the condition of the heart determines how someone responds to the gospel. And for this reason, the heart should be what we care about. And because we want to care about the heart, I think I, I want to show you that we want to seek two things— First, to seek to know the condition of the heart, and we want to seek to change the condition of the heart. So seek to know and to change the condition of the heart. I pray that through this we will see that because, of, because the condition of our heart determines how, how Jesus' message is received, the heart is to be our primary concern. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the passage. Yeah, Jesus, uh, I'm really thankful to be up here, and I just pray that what I say and, like, yeah, just what I say would be more than just, like, words on a page um, or things that I've thought of, but that they'd be you speaking directly to us in our hearts. I pray that we would, like, take in what you have to say to us through this parable, that we would, like, be introspective about ourselves and um, desire to, like, listen to what you have to say about us. Yeah, Jesus, just uh, use your spirit. Like, I, I want to be dependent on you for that. So we love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're in Matthew 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, 
while all the people stood on the shore, while the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the, shallow, the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And we're going to skip ahead to verse 18, where he's explaining this parable to his disciples. He says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they, only, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of, deceitfulness of wealth choke, choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So yeah, like I said, because the condition of the heart determines how one responds to the gospel, the heart should be of primary concern. And because this is true, first we want to seek to know the condition of the heart. And to do that, we're first going to dig into these four types of soil that Jesus describes, or what I'm saying are the four conditions of the heart. But maybe you're thinking right away, whoa, 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 back up. Beep, beep, beep. How'd you get from agriculture, and now all of a sudden you're talking about bodily organs? Why are you calling the soil a heart, and what is the seed? Well, we can see that the soil is a metaphor for the heart because in verse 19, Jesus basically says so. He says, what was sown in their heart. So he's saying this seed is sown in people's hearts. Throughout the passage, he's using emotion and intellect-type language. He uses words like joy, hear, understand, worry, deceit. And to clarify, the heart that Jesus is referring to here is like the inner core of who we are. It's not just our emotions and thoughts, but it's what's behind those. It's what motivates us, motivates us and it's what we worship. It's what we believe deep down about ourselves and about the world. The Bible often calls this our heart, and it's, what's Jesus, it's what Jesus is referring to whenever he talks about the soil. We also know that the seed is Jesus' message because in verse 19, again, instead of calling it sowing a seed, he calls it hearing the message of the kingdom. And in verse 20, he calls it hears the word. So the, the seed is the message of the redemptive, the redemptive reign and rule of God made known in Jesus. The mes this message is culminated in the cross where Jesus died in our place for our sins so we can be right with God by trusting in him and we can enter into his kingdom. We call this Jesus' good news or his gospel. So Jesus here is giving a metaphor for how his message is responded to in the hearts of people who hear it. Jesus outlines four conditions of the heart that his message is sown in, so let's get into those. First, he talks about the path, or what I'm calling is the hard soil. 
In verse 4, he says, the seed falls on the path and birds snatch it. In verse 19, he explains it as someone who hears but doesn't understand and the evil one snatches it away. The path Jesus is talking about here would have been like a walkway that the farmer would have walked on as he's scattering the seeds. This person doesn't even understand the message. They do hear the gospel, but they don't understand it, and there isn't even time for them to process it because it's taken from them. People in this spot probably have little to no consideration for spiritual matters. Maybe they've been hurt by the church in the past, or they don't buy any of that religious stuff. A path is compacted, it's hardened, and just like that, just like the path, there's stubbornness to their heart. They, they might say, Jesus is fine for you, but he's just not for me. Maybe this soil describes you today. Maybe you've been here before, or you've heard about Jesus from others, and you're already thinking, this again? Or you're thinking, how long did they say till Ryan's done talking? Something is always there to distract you, whether it's your doubts or your skepticism or your anger. Satan, Satan tempts us with these things to actively oppose the planting of seeds in our heart. And there isn't even time for the message to take root. So the next type of soil Jesus talks about is the rocky or the shallow soil. In verse 5, he says, The seed falls on rocky places. It sprang up quickly due to shallow soil, but the sun scorched the plant because there was no root. In verse 20, he explains it as someone who hears and quickly receives with joy, but there's no root, so it only lasts a short time. Trouble or persecution come, and they fall away. Someone with rocky soil likely hasn't counted the cost of following Jesus. And what I mean by that is when we turn to Jesus, his motivations become our motivations, and his purposes become our purposes. So we lay down our desires and pursuits and instead seek to advance his kingdom because we want to give back to him for all that he's done for us. Counting the cost means that we may be required to let go of things that we cared about or pursued prior to encountering Jesus. Uh, my wife, Becca, experienced something like this in college. She became close to one of her wingmates. Uh, we'll call her Amy. And Becca was able to share the gospel with Amy. She started coming to campus ministry events. She became friends with other uh, Christians on campus. And she eventually decided that she wanted to follow Jesus. Winter break came and went. And then the following semester, Amy just really didn't want anything to do with Jesus. It was confusing, and we're not sure exactly what happened but it's likely that she was more excited about new friends and activities than she was about following Jesus. She likely went back home to people who didn't care about him, and the worry of what they might think mattered more than Jesus' message. It scorched his message. The root of what she believed about Jesus was extremely shallow, and it died. Amy hadn't counted the cost of following Jesus that it meant laying down, caring what others think over following him. I think uh, rocky, rocky soil is easy to see at spiritual events too, especially like youth group type of events. You're riding like this emotional high. The, the worship music is really good. The speaker is really engaging like I'm being right now. And, you, <laughs> and then you joyfully but you shallowly decide to follow Jesus. The minute you get back to the real world, Troubles come, and then Jesus is just forgotten. And I'm not trying to be critical of, like, events or youth groups here. Like, 
I really, I really enjoy those types of things, and I think they can be good for growing in Jesus. But it's important that when someone considers following him, that they understand that trouble and persecution will come, and Jesus demands our faithfulness in those times too. So do either of those stories resonate with you today? Are some of you rocky soil? Maybe you made a decision to follow Jesus as a kid, or you said a prayer a long time ago, but it was just a fleeting moment that doesn't mean a lot to you anymore. Maybe you can tell that following Jesus for you hasn't included counting the cost, that the soil of your heart is shallow, and that if trouble and persecution were to come because of Jesus, you would be so quick to ditch him. And side note, this isn't talking about how someone can become a Christian and lose their faith. Elsewhere in the Bible, it's pretty clear that God keeps those who are in him, how following Jesus includes persevering till the end, but Jesus here is saying it never takes root. His point in all the soils that aren't good is that the gospel was never actually received and never actually changed someone. And it genuinely might look like someone becomes a Christian, especially when they joyfully respond to the gospel, but ultimately that isn't the case. And I read a really good quote on this, or just like, a good quote explaining the rocky soil that I wanted to share by J.D. Greer. He says, The sign of saving faith is not its intensity at the beginning, but its endurance until the end. So the sign of saving faith isn't its intensity at the beginning, but its endurance until the end. And third, Jesus talks about thorny or divided soil. So in verse 7, he says, The seed falls among the thorns, the thorns grow and choke out the plants. In verse 22, he explains it as someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word. So the thorns he's talking about are other messages that are competing in the heart. I think worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth are pretty self-explanatory, but often thorns disguise themselves as good things. Things like working hard at your career, whether that's for advancement or to get that next raise, pursuing financial freedom or stability, keeping a busy family schedule with sports and activities, working out to be healthy or fit. These are all good things on the surface, but when they become our number one or ultimate thing, they become bad things, and that's because Jesus should be the ultimate thing. They all look like good things, but they choke out the ultimate thing. Jesus says that pursuing these things will just compete with him in our heart and cause his message to die. The thing about thorns is that they don't kill plants quickly. Those who have thorny soil may in fact genuinely care about Jesus and genuinely consider pursuing him. But we have to be extremely careful about the worries of the world because the thorns, these distractions, will slowly and gradually and unknowingly kill the gospel in our heart. Do some of you look at your heart and just see that it is full of thorns? Jesus doesn't stand a chance because the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth tower over everything. And last, Jesus, is talk, Jesus talks about good soil. In verse 8, he says, The seed fell on good soil and produced a crop 160 or 30 times. In verse 23, he explains it to the disciples as someone who hears and understands and produces a crop 160 or 30 times. So Jesus says good soil is someone who hears and understands. 
but he's not saying that we should try hard to hear and understand to be good soil. He's saying that someone who is good soil will automatically understand. In fact, he doesn't even actually tell us what makes someone good soil. He just tells us what happens as a result of that. And what he says is that they produce a crop and that they produce a lot of it, 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. An average yield in Jesus' time for what was sown would have been around eight times. So the crowd would have heard these numbers, 30, 60, 100, and, and they would have seen those as insane amounts that they could only be from supernatural results. So Jesus is saying that someone who has received his gospel will bear fruit for him and will bear a lot of it. And producing crop or bearing fruit means that we see spiritual evidences of God's grace in their life. That's what he's talking about here. So when someone is bearing fruit, you can see them growing in their trust and their understanding of Jesus and how his identity shapes their life. This, this change in identity and purpose also will change what they do. You can see them being on mission to their friends, neighbors, and coworkers, sharing Jesus' message to them. You can see them faithfully and sacrificially serving Jesus and the local church with their time and their money and their efforts. And these things do not happen unless someone's heart has been radically changed by the gospel. And just as an aside, Jesus wasn't intending for people to uh, compare the amount of fruits in their lives with each other. His point is that the amount of fruit, no matter what it is, is a supernatural yield. There's no way that someone could produce that amount unless it was from God. And I hope that we're able to easily see examples of producing crop at River City. I know that I can. Um, I think about, uh, I wrote down what Dawson shared a couple weeks ago, but even what he shared today about how um, his desire to achieve and be perfect on his own, um, but instead he's replacing that and continue to grow in his understanding that that comes from Jesus and his righteousness. And I know there are tons of other stories like that of how people are genuinely pursuing Jesus and growing in their understanding of the gospel. <clears throat> and there are countless examples of us loving others in our small groups and around town, our neighbors and coworkers here in Dubuque, so I think we can totally see a uh, crop here at River City. When a heart has good soil, the, top, the gospel takes root and it grows. Everything about that ch person changes and they reflect God's glory. So really, as we, as we think about it, there are only two ways that the heart responds to the gospel. There's bad soil and we reject it, or there's good soil and we receive it. And I realize that bad is kind of an elementary way to describe the three not good soils, but I'm a math guy, so you just have to put up with that. <laughs> but as we walk through that, are you able to tell what soil you are? Because that's what Jesus wants us to do today. He wants us to seek the condition of our own heart. As he explained this parable to the crowds, Jesus' intention would have been that they would consider their own soil the crowds didn't even get the second half explanation part that Jesus explained to the disciples, so they would have been forced to figure out what the soil and seed even mean. That is the purpose of parables, to force us to think critically about ourselves and his kingdom. And as they figured it out, surely one of the first things that they would have wondered is, what soil am I? So, what soil are you? What is the condition of your heart? And just as a quick test, 
If you're following Jesus and you trust him as your savior and your forgiver and the leader of your life, then today you're good soil. But if you're not, then you're bad soil. And if you're bad soil, maybe you're wondering, what does that even matter? Why should I care? Well, the Bible tells us that those of us who aren't in Jesus, who have rejected the king of the universe, stand in direct opposition to God. Those who don't trust in Jesus' free gift of salvation are subject to his wrath. So that's why it matters, because the stakes are extremely high and it is extremely urgent. So please take time to consider if any of those things are true of you today. Are you path, or are you thorny, or are you rocky soil? Jesus is asking you to inspect your heart today, right now. He is graciously giving you a moment in which you can be honest about yourself and where you sit with him. Do not delay in doing that, and do not lie to yourself. Do not sit there either, because you should invite Jesus to see why you are bad soil. And this is why we must not only seek to know the condition of our heart, but to change it, to change the condition of our heart. But what can we do about that? We seek to know our heart's condition, but if we realize that we're bad, if we see that we are in direct opposition to God, what are we to do? How can we change from bad to good soil? Well, I think our first reaction is that we try to do it on our own. We think that we can clean ourselves up, and that'll make ourselves good. And we do that in various ways, like going to church, tithing and volunteering, or we try to be extra moral, like we stop doing bad stuff, or we try to be super self-disciplined and set goals for what we think make us good. But can we just be honest for a second? Like, that doesn't work. We see that that doesn't work, right? In fact, this is dangerous, and it's backwards, because our actions don't change our heart. Our actions come from our heart. And our hearts are bad soil by default. Left alone, we are utterly and completely hopeless. So I'm going to read uh, a passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet from the Old Testament who wrote this passage foretelling how God would relate to his people through Jesus. And this is uh, God speaking. It's Ezekiel 11, verse 19. God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will re remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. So we cannot change our own heart. Only God can do that. God promised before Jesus even came that he would be the one that would transform our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. To change our hearts to be able to hear and understand his message. He promised to turn our bad soil to good. And not only did God promise to come to earth to save us from our sin, but he also promised to be the one that would prepare our hearts to receive this message. So all parts of salvation are his doing, and he gets all the credit for that. Now, this may seem weird and frankly frustrating. We're supposed to respond and receive his message, but the only way that we can do that is if he changes our heart first. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But I pray that you don't see this as damning and frustrating. Instead, we should see this as really good news. Because like I said before, we can't change our own hearts. We are bad soil by default, 
and we would remain so if it was left up to us. Our hearts would never be ready to hear the gospel and respond correctly. We would 100% always reject it, and we would always go our own way. This reminds me of my story. I grew up going to church, and I heard the gospel hundreds of times, but it, it just never clicked. I never understood. It never took root and grew in my heart. But then in college, as I look back, I can see that God just mysteriously changed my heart so I could understand and receive the gospel, and everything changed for me. God definitely used other Christians in my life. He used ministries and churches to show me Jesus' love, to show me the way to my sin, to sow seeds in my heart, but none of it mattered until he changed my heart, till he opened my heart to be ready to receive his word. I was completely hopeless, and I was bad soil. And looking back, that means I can't take any of the credit for, what I've, for, what, for how he's changed me because it is all God's doing, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that God graciously reconditioned my heart. And I've been praying these last few weeks that the same would be true of you. This parable is Jesus being extremely gracious to you today. And I know I keep saying that, but it's true. He's letting you take the time to evaluate where you sit with him, the creator of the universe who died for you. He's showing you that without his magnificent grace, you are utterly and completely hopeless. So that is what we are to pray for, that Jesus would change the soil of our heart to receive his good news. For those of us who are hard soil, who laugh Jesus off and reject him, that he would till that up, that he would remove the rocks and turn our joyful yet shallow responses into ones that truly consider the weight of what it means to follow him and, and the weight of what he's done, that he would destroy the thorns and take away worries and distractions that compete with him, him being on your heart's throne. We should pray that he would make us good soil because it's the only hope that we have. And he longs for us to follow and obey him. Therefore, he longs to say yes when we ask him to make us good soil. As we seek to change the condition of our heart, we must see that it can only be done by God through the work of Jesus on the cross. And the only thing that we can do is ask that it would be done for us. For, for those of us who trust and follow Jesus, first, like, worship him, worship Jesus, thank him for reconditioning your heart. Do you feel the weight of how hopeless you were before that? Do you feel the weight of how hopeless you were without his enormous grace? Be thankful for what he's done. Us who are good soil also have to think about why Jesus might explain this passage to the disciples who were already good soil themselves. He shared this parable in further detail to them for a reason, because Jesus was going to sow seeds in people's hearts through them. Because, spoiler alert, later in the last chapter in Matthew, Jesus will call the disciples to continue to share his message. He's going to ask them to make disciples of all nations. And Jesus wanted to show them that the determining factor of how people would respond to their message was the condition of their heart. Ultimately, it didn't matter how great they were at communicating or how well they knew the crowd or what their background was or how smart they were. It all was dependent on the condition of the, of the heart of those who they were sharing Jesus with. And this applies to us as well as we're on mission to our friends, neighbors, and coworkers here in Dubuque. What is our primary concern as we share Jesus with them? 
Is it what we say and how we say it? Is it the content that we choose to go through with them? Is it the level of intimacy in which we know them? These things are all important, and we should value the quality of our message, but all those things are secondary to the condition of our friend's heart. And we know that it is God that transforms that condition, so this is really freeing because we can be fully dependent on God to do the heavy lifting of being on mission with him. We don't have to let fear and lack of control cripple us and prevent us from being bold with them. Instead, we can choose to trust Jesus with our friends' hearts because he's the only one that can do anything to change them. This also challenges us as we pray for our non-Christian friends. First, do we pray for them? Do we see the weight of what is at stake and how hopeless both we and they are without God reconditioning their heart? Remember, they are in opposition to him. They are subject to his wrath. So my hope is that our dependency and trust in Jesus to change others would drive us to plead with him in prayer for our friends. And this should also challenge us as what we, for what we pray for. Do we pray for their hearts? Do we pray that Jesus would recondition their bad soil? Because if we aren't praying for that, we might as well not pray for anything else. Because without that, they are without hope. If we truly desire friends to know and follow Jesus, he must prepare their hearts to receive his message first. So pray for that. Pray for their path and their rocky and their thorny soil to be reconditioned. Pray earnestly and unceasingly because we long for our friends to correctly respond to the good news of the gospel. And this has been a good reminder for me as I think about my friends who don't know Jesus. I have two close friends from high school who at the time didn't know Jesus. After Jesus saved me in college, uh, I couldn't help but share the gospel with them. I longed for them to know him and to see the way Jesus I did. Looking back, I can see that I didn't believe it myself that Jesus was the one to soften their heart, so I put that burden on myself. I got frustrated when they didn't understand the gospel and when they didn't see their need for forgiveness and salvation. And I, I put the weight of their heart changing on my shoulders instead of trusting God to do that. And they both live far away now, and one, <laughs> one of them has since become a Christian. And he thanks me and my family for sharing Jesus with him. <sighs> Sorry. He thanks, for, he thanks us for sharing Jesus to him back then, but I can see that it was all in God's timing, and it was, wasn't until God reconditioned his heart that he was saved. But my other friend is still bad soil, and that sucks, and it's super frustrating. But this has been really good for me as I because I have to remember that I have to pray unceasingly for my friend Dan. And that Dan's only hope is that God would remove his stone heart and give him a new one. That's his only hope. So as we prepare to take communion today, what I'm asking you to do is first reflect on your heart. Are you good soil? Do you trust in Jesus as your forgiver and leader? then celebrate that today. Celebrate the fact that Jesus broke the ground on your stone heart and gave you a new one. 
He, he allowed you to receive the gospel. Jesus gave us, a, gave us a way out of our rebellion and opposition to God and prepared our heart to understand that. Celebrate that today as you take communion. The way we take communion here at River City is by dipping the bread and the juice. There's a table on the left and on the right, and you can go back whenever you're ready as the worship team continues to um, lead us in worship. You don't, have to long, you don't have to belong to River City. You just have to belong to Jesus. And if that's something you're realizing for the first time today, like, wow, I can see that I'm good soil. I'm following Jesus. If that's something you're realizing the first time today, that is super exciting. And I'd encourage you to talk to someone about that. Talk to me or any of the small group leaders you saw or anyone else up here. But as you reflect, if you realize that you're bad soil, that you don't trust Jesus in, the way, in that way, then communion isn't right for you. Instead, receive the invitation that Jesus is offering you today to inspect the condition of your heart. Consider what stands in the way of you receiving Jesus' free gift of salvation in life. Pray that he would do something about that that he would absolutely wreck your heart and wipe out the bad soil and replace it with good. We're super glad you're here today, and we'd love to process that stuff with you if that's something you want or need. Feel free to talk or pray with me or anyone else that's been up here or any of the small group leaders. But like I said, please do not sit in the realization that you are bad soil. Do not stay there and plead with Jesus to change you. So let's pray and plead with him now. Yeah, Jesus, we just acknowledge that like we are completely and utterly hopeless without you, without your spirit coming in and taking our stone heart and crushing it and replacing it with, with, a, with a good heart. Jesus, like I pray for my friend Dan that that would happen. I pray for those of us in the room who realize we're bad soil, God, that we would pursue you, that we wouldn't sit there, that we would pray to you and ask that you would give us good soil because that is the only hope that we have. We're so thankful that you came and died for us, that you gave us a way to be right with you again, that we don't have to stay in opposition and rebellion to you, but we have a chance to be right with you and to be free but Jesus, we need you to allow us to hear and understand that and to receive it and for it to grow in our heart. So I pray that, that that would happen today. And I pray that those of us who are good soil, who trust you, God, that we would, be, that we would just continue to be on mission to our friends and that we would recognize that about them and that we would pray unceasingly for them. Yeah, Jesus, we just want you to change the hearts of people here at River City and here in Dubuque. So that's what we pray for today. We're so thankful for you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.